Now, I don't want you to think this is a family affair, but we're going across the world now, about as far as we can go, to New Zealand. And I want to uh, chat a little bit with Ben. Good to see you, Ben. Um, morning. Morning. <laughs> morning, yes, indeed. What time is it there? It's just gone seven o'clock on Wednesday morning. On Wednesday morning. And are you on the North Island or the South Island at the moment? I'm currently in just outside the city of Christchurch in the Canterbury region on the South Island, but I live in the North Island in Wellington. Great. Good to see you. How, how long have you been there? Uh, we've been here just over 12 years. And, and what is your work there, Ben? So I, I have the privilege of working with Tertiary Students Christian Fellowship. Um, don't worry, you're not going to be tested on those those words. Um, it's the IFES movement, the student movement, a bit bit like the UCCF, we're a bit different to uh, what goes on in Britain, but uh, Tertiary Students Christian Fellowship. Over here we say there are three of those four words that we have to explain to people. Tertiary, just in terms of primary, secondary, tertiary level, the third level. Uh, students is increasingly actually uh, a wider term. Christian, that means anything and everything to many people. Fellowship's probably the word that people understand here mostly because of Lord of the Rings and the Fellowship of the ring but um yeah uh, I, I work leading a student-led movement uh, evangelism on campuses across new zealand now ben new zealand you sort of think it's going to be a bit like britain but more beautiful perhaps uh, except for the yorkshire dales of course but uh, but it's it's actually a very secular country isn't it yeah, by many uh, descriptions, it, it's often seen as the most secular country in the world or one. And I don't know how you measure those things. Yeah. It, it certainly is one of the most secular uh, countries in the world. In our last census, uh, there were a greater number of people uh, signing that they are coming from no religion uh, than of Christian um, background or other religions. And um, to be honest, the, the Christian message only arrived on these shores 205 years ago. So we um, we were, were pre-Christian at that stage in terms of the gospel hadn't arrived on these shores. And now we're very much post-Christian, uh, very secularised. Um, Kiwis would describe it as progressive. Um, I think Brits would probably use the term liberal, um, very uh, secular attitudes uh, to religion in schools, religion in the government uh, and, and the way that the Christian um, message or any religion shape our society. Pluralism is rife, syncretism is rife, uh, but for most people, they don't really know and they don't really care. So the, the, the issues you're facing when you're trying to spread the gospel, Ben, are, are what? What sort of barriers, obstacles are there? The, the biggest obstacle is one of apathy, um, both amongst Christians and non-Christians. So uh, it's easier to see it when you're talking with a non-Christian. Uh, the Kiwi worldview has a phrase that says she'll be right. And you'll often hear that uh, very early on in our time here. My wife saw a car crash happen where there was damage. The two guys involved in the car crash got out, shook hands. She'll be right. And you drive on. Uh, <laughs> and that's that's all right with with cars. And uh, it's actually a lovely part of the Kiwi psyche. But spiritually, she isn't right and she won't be all right. Um, but most Kiwis would have that apathetic uh, worldview uh, towards anything of God. And we're probably actually increasingly seeing it even in the midst of all that's gone on with the coronavirus. We, we live in an absolutely beautiful country where for many people, their world is one where it's very good. Um, we we haven't had too many problems that has changed in the last decade or so, possibly since I arrived. But I don't think those two <laughs> things are, are connected. Uh, but even now, um, we're, we're currently totally out of lockdown with the only restrictions for us being our borders closed. Uh, and just yesterday, we were having conversations with our team around the country and our staff were saying that people are just saying, look, I'm all right. So I don't need to care about anything. So so God just is not in the picture for most people so what are you doing how are you evangelizing in that uh, setting ben oh uh, we we use a mix of different uh, opportunities because we're student-led groups it really depends on the students uh, around but for many of our many of our students they've never even thought of evangelism um, and for many of them they've not even thought about friendship 
Um, so, so we're starting with people who, uh, Christians who are apathetic uh, about uh, the gospel and evangelism and, and applying it to every area of their life. So we're trying to help them think through what does it mean to be a Christian? How does this apply to the courses that I study? And then to look for opportunities. And to be honest, many of them just need to think through who are my friends. They don't talk to their neighbours. They don't talk to their classmates. And, and so that's step one. And I know it sounds counterintuitive, but in many ways, we're actually just trying to help people understand the gospel for themselves, but also understand the world around them. And uh, we're finding, particularly with students, that we're really having to say, now, how can we help you be a friend? You need to join club societies. You need to be involved in the society around them. But then we're needing to help them understand the basic understanding of the gospel. In terms of different programs, Jonathan was talking about programs in, in the US. One of the ironies here is that programs um, don't work in quite the same way. So Christianity Explored, for example, I love and have used many times in the UK, but it starts with that question, if there was, a, uh, if there was one question you could ask God, what would it be? Well, for a New Zealander hearing that question, they'd go, hang on a minute, you're assuming that I believe in a God and you've, you've called him a he. I, I'm not even sure about that. So we're starting way back and we're having to start with some real basics. Um, I, I use as a gospel outline here um, Luke 2.10 because it was the first Christian message that arrived on these shores. Samuel Marsden, a Yorkshireman, um, came and declared and it was translated into Tereo Mari. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. So we try and help students to to share good news and in the world that we live in there's so much bad news of great joy uh, and to do it joyfully and authentically uh, and for all people that it's not just for men or women white people rich it's for everyone uh, and we help them to think beyond these shores but the trouble is many people leave it there it's not just good news of great joy for all people. It is not good news if you don't get to Jesus. And the next verse, good news of great joy for all people. Behold, a savior is born, Christ the Lord. So we're trying to introduce people to Jesus. And over the last 12 years, consistently, the two feet features that have been there for most people, I don't want to say uh, for everyone, uh, the spirit moves as he pleases, but um, have been introducing Jesus in the pages of scripture. So we're trying to give people a confidence in scripture to introduce Jesus and then letting them see it lived out in the life of maybe one or two or a small group of Christians and to see, okay, that's what difference it makes. Um, so in, in terms of answering your actual question, how are we doing evangelism? All sorts of ways uh, with drunk students here in Lincoln, where I am today, uh, at midnight when they're coming back from the bars uh, late on at night, giving them toasties, trying to engage in some conversations and then following up when they're more sober later on. Uh, the Mark drama, some of you will have heard of that. We've used that quite a bit. Um, we had one group that called we'll themselves... We'll have to cut you short in a minute, but yes, go on. Just right. yeah. we, we had one group that called themselves Nurses United, partly because if you invite someone to an evangelistic Bible study here, people won't come along. So this group called themselves Nurses United and one week they would read the Bible together and one week they'd play football together. Different ideas. <laughs> Thanks. Now, don't forget, if you want to ask Ben any questions, text it or slide it. Thanks very much, Ben. We'll perhaps be coming back. Um, now, we're going actually to, to Laura. She's an Northern Irish girl. She's actually working in Kenya at the moment, but um, for the last 20 odd years, she's been working in Spain. And so she's really our European representative. Uh, so, Laura, I can't see you at the moment, but I think we should get you in just a moment. Laura. Well, I'm on. My video's on. So, oh, okay. well, I can, oh yeah. there you are. Yes. Great. Okay. Great to Good, have you. Hi, hi to see everyone. Yeah. Yes. Whereabouts in Northern Ireland are you from? Uh, originally Belfast, capital of Northern Ireland. More yeah. or less Shankill Road, weren't you? Well, yeah, that's where my church was, and I lived in the yeah an area close to that. So yeah, the famous you area. Work, you were working in Spain for how long? I actually was Spain twenty-seven years exactly. Oh wow, amazing! Yeah. And and what were you doing there, Laura? Okay, when when I first went to Spain, I had a vision for children. Actually, um, I trained in in working with with children and went there with that vision and passion. 
But then when you start working with children, you obviously then meet the families, you meet the parents, the children get older, you're starting to work with young teens and then they get older. So it started with children's work, but it came, um, yeah, to all ages and working with ladies, a vision for them as well. So my my early years were very evangelistic, actually, in, in the north of Spain. Now, you imagine Spain to be deeply Roman Catholic, but of course, that doesn't necessarily mean they know the gospel or understand the gospel, does it? Yes, but in those early years, it was. Um, to be Spanish was to be Catholic, and you could almost have said it was 98% Catholic. People would have um, taken that and said they were. Um, and so actually, looking back on where they are today, um, that's very different. But looking back, at least you had a basis when you did children's work in the street, for example, you could teach the Bible stories and they would have a knowledge at least of Jesus, of who he was, what he did. And even the adults, you know, you might have to work on that and teach the gospel. But they did know the basics. And today it's a very different story. In, in what way? Why is it different now? Well, um, just now with the statistics over the years, you know, I've watched how the Catholic Church lost its influence. Was that through the, the same sort of causes as over here, you know, uh, child abuse and this sort of thing? Well, the child abuse I always find in Spain, it never came out as much as it did in the UK or Ireland, but it was there. And mm. even in my early years, like in the early 90s, people all had their criticism of the Catholic Church and the priests and the nuns, even from schools, because generally most of the schools had been Catholic. So there'd always been something there. But I think even as, as Spain came out of the dictatorship, people had more money and it did become more secular. And actually statistics today are, I mean, it's shocking, actually, but they say 25 percent of Spaniards would claim to be atheists today. Wow. So, so it's taken a major shift. So evangelistically, um, Laura, what is being done in Spain to reach people? Yeah. Um, I think it's challenging. Um, the Spanish, the problem with Spain is it's a country, when I went to 40 million, it's now 47, but you have a, an evangelical population of one. When I went, it was less than 1% of the population. So the, the evangelicals are a smaller number. And so it's challenging then. There's almost this mentality of survival within the church. And in my last years, I sensed the churches were coming insular, looking in and trying to work themselves and they were losing that cutting edge. Um, so what were they doing? One, one of the things I was involved with in the churches I worked with, we, we organized campaigns in the summer, because summer's great opportunities for evangelism with the good weather in Spain. And they were called Amiga campaigns because it was related to friendship. And you would go into a town or a village with a, a group of young people from all over the country, maybe even internationals, and um, do different activities for at least two weeks. And you might even start off doing things like cleaning the streets, just doing something practical for the council and connect with the town council. And as the week goes on, introduce the evangelistic events, which could be children's work, just street work, interviews, you know, questionnaire work, concerts, um, sports. In a sense, it was, it was a real impact just to have as a big group an impact on a town or city and then follow it up afterwards. So those were like break-ins really to do. Um, I also find it was hard to have people on a personal level, I think like Ben was saying, to share the gospel themselves. And so I think there's been work to be done in the churches to encourage people to actually, you know, live out your faith day by day, speak to your neighbours, get to know your people. And Spain is a very sociable, you know, country. The people love to be together. So if people began to share the gospel, it would be easy. Um yeah, no, I was just going to say one, one of the major yeah. projects I was involved with for like 16 years, and it was a, an event called Mission Possible, Mission Possible. And we gathered the young people initially from our churches, but then it became, you know, national and international. Um, and we, we were just trying to teach them, you know, mission is possible and it's possible for you to do it. And to give them a vision for the local mission, you can reach the people where you are. You can reach the people in your school, or your college or uni. But you can also have a vision and passion for the world. And so we did that, trying to give them vision, sharing the stories, um, bringing people in, you know, to, to, to do it. Biblically based and expounding the scripture that would give them a vision and passion to reach the lost. 
um, offer training sessions, like Ben was saying, how to do evangelism, what to do, and then offer practical experiences. Um, and, and Laura, just quickly, it's amazing how quickly these minutes fly by. But um, are, are the people of Spain, are the Christians seeing folk being converted or not really? Yes, they are, but it's, it's very slow. And it does seem to take time with people. You might get the few people where it's a very quick and fast conversion, but they are finding it's, it's, it's the longer term. It's small. It's friendship based, maybe small groups, Bible studies, inviting people in. Um, so, yes, it's like a long haul in Spain and, and has been. Um, and, so, yes, and, very challenging. And presumably uh, still there are hundreds, maybe thousands of villages and towns where there is no Bible believing witness at all. Yes, there would be still thousands of certain numbers. You know, they, they have it all graded, like maybe 3,000 and 5,000. But, yeah, there would still be um, thousands of, young, of the smaller villages without mm. testimony. And that has always been the challenge to get people to go out of the bigger cities, you know, Madrid, Barcelona, those urban areas to go to go out and, and to have a witness in those areas where it's sparser. Um, the south you're of Spain you're well. working now in Kenya. We'd love to talk more about that, but we're going to move on. But again, if you want to receive prayer information from Laura, she's doing a great work and sends out a regular newsletter. Do get in touch. We'll sort that out. Laura, thanks very much. Hang around, won't you? Because we're now yes, we're going over. Thank you. We're going to Nicaragua now. So this is central, but we're going to call you South America as well because we want to tick that box. Mm-hmm. Barry and Suzanne. Barry's a Lancastrian. <laughs> You're from South Korea, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, Barry and Suzanne, what are you doing in Nicaragua? Tell us a little bit about the country. Basically, we know very little. There was a massive earthquake there a few years ago, but we don't know much else. Tell us about it. Yeah, they've, um, Nicaragua has been through a lot of um, difficulties. Um, they've been through the, the earthquake, political turmoil, dictatorship. Um, they overthrew the dictator. Now they've got another one at the moment. <laughs> Um, uh, a lot of natural disasters, hurricane. Um, yeah, they've been through a lot. Uh, Nicaraguans, very resilient people because of what they've been through. Uh, very friendly. And the country is wide open. Uh, God is really moving in Nicaragua. What's the population of Nicaragua? Um, just over almost 7 million. 7 million, right. And I think you met when you were both doing missionary work in Central America, didn't you? Yeah, Suzanne and I met in um, Costa Rica. Uh, we're both working in the same church and ministry. I was doing language study. I'm still doing it. And Susanna <laughs> finished it. Great. Now, what have you been doing out there? Because um, obviously with so many million, you can't do everything. What have you been doing? Um, God really laid on our hearts um, to work with Christian education. So um, we ended up um, setting up a school. And, and then four years ago, we set up a second school. So the first school is 13 years old. The second school is um, just over four years old. And, and how many pupils in the school? Uh, <laughs> it's the first school, Arasa Christian Academy, 240 students. Second school, Amapa Faith Academy, uh, 110 students. So totally 350 students. Amazing. Now, this is these are clearly Christian schools, aren't they? So you're not just teaching, I don't know, maths and PE, but you are trying to uh, teach the gospel as well. So all of our um, all of our teachers are born again and um, we have the privilege of interviewing and hiring each teacher individually. And um, so we've we've got that opportunity and um, we don't get hassle from the government. Why don't you get hassle? What 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 is the what's the religion of Nicaragua? Uh, it's it's a Catholic country, uh, but the Catholic Church is losing a lot of people to Pentecostalism. So the Pentecostal Church is growing very fast in South America, Central America, and um, but the school because uh, we've got good results academically, um, we you know the Minister of Education are very happy with us, and they don't they don't give us hassle with the Christian side of things. And, and so how, how, do, how do you do it? Do you do it through school assemblies? Is it through RE lessons? Sorry to sound very ignorant. So um, our teachers would have total freedom every day to do their Bible study in the morning, their devotion. 
Um, and we do weekly um, chapel services with the whole school together. We're able to do um, evangelistic events with the parents. The main evangelism would be done by the teacher um, with the student. And then the student goes home and evangelizes the parents. <laughs> Wonderful. And and I, are you seeing fruit through this? Are you seeing children and families coming to trust the Lord? We've seen, we've seen some interesting situations where children have been converted and uh, gone home and, and the parents have been converted. One of the things in Nicaragua, which I'd never thought about, is that you can you can see household salvation very often in Nicaragua. If one person becomes a Christian, uh, the whole the whole family uh, would would be converted. Amazing. Now, Suzanne, this is very personal, but it's been a big sacrifice for you to be a missionary because you've battled with cancer, haven't you, while you've been out there? Has this made you question whether you're right to stay in Nicaragua? Should you? Should you go where, I don't know, where there's a stronger health service? Has this, has this been a trouble for you? Usually, I have a, a checkup system in South Korea. So uh, after the, my uh, surgery, every year, I, did, I have uh, been visiting yeah, Korea. But this year, I don't know. <laughs> in no. Nicaragua, usually, I don't go to... Uh, healthcare service. Uh, uh, we don't have a uh, uh, healthcare insurance in Nicaragua. Uh, another is, you know, in Korea is uh, the system is uh, wonderful. Uh, I just need an airplane ticket to go to Korea. Oh, interesting. Um, and Barry, if, if, if a whole household converted, are there good churches for them to go to where they'll be built up in the in the faith? There are there are good churches, um, but there's a lot of chaos as well in the in the church. Um, Christianity and the gospel took off in Nicaragua very fast during the late 80s, 90s. So the the church grew very fast, and there's a lot of chaos still. Um, but there are good churches. There's good godly people um, that are evangelizing, and we we are connected with a really good church of the Central American Mission. We work with them. And uh, most of our, well, quite a high number of our teachers come from that denomination. That's great. Thank you. Well, again, if you want prayer information from Barry and Suzanne, do get in touch. Or if you've got questions about Nicaragua. But uh, thanks, Barry and Suzanne. We're going to cross thousands of miles now and we're going to, oh, come to Leicester. <laughs> we're back home in England. Um, Penny, it's great to have you. Now, Penny, what, what are you doing in Leicester? So I work for a mission organization called uh, Friends International. We are supporting uh, international students in the UK. Right. So you're doing evangelistic work with students from different countries. Are, are these people who will come just for two, three, four years or whatever to study and then will return home? Yes. Well, actually, most students we are um, getting in contact with um, just doing one year master degree. Okay. Um, so we have a very short time to be friends with them and share the gospel with them and disciple them. Indeed. Um, which countries are they coming from, Penny? Uh, well, you can find um, country, uh, a lot of countries, actually, and including countries that are close to the gospel. Um, so I think um, most students are from China. Um, that's the big, biggest sending country. And also uh, you can find um, people from India, uh, Saudi Arabia or some um, yeah, Muslim um, um, Islamic countries. So now, Penny, some of those countries we would know to be very close to the gospel. So when the students come out from there to here, are, are they fearful about talking about Christianity or are they very interested and open? We find generally students are very open to the gospel while they are here. I think for, for a couple of reasons. First, because um, for some international students, they get the wrong idea that everyone in Britain is a Christian. So to them, um, Christianity is the yeah, it's a, a, a cultural thing that they would want to get to know more because everyone is a Christian. They would want to read the Bible and go to the church as a cultural experience. Um, but um, yeah, secondly, I think uh, for some students, um, maybe uh, they met Christians um, 
before coming to the UK and they would want to know more about Christianity, but back home there's too much pressure for them. Family might not want them to explore anything. So when they come here, they are free um, from uh, pressure from the society or family. So they will um, be interested in reading more. Now, Penny, I'm just going to check with Dave Donigani. I can see you, Dave. Is this is there interference for everybody? Or is it just for me? No, I can get it as well. I think it's probably at Penny's end. Keep going. All and right. see what happens. Penny, go. um, I'm going to I'm going to ask you to go off and come back on. But I'm going to go over to Japan and then I'll continue interviewing you in a moment. See if we can get a clearer line because you're breaking up a little bit, if that's all right. Isn't yeah. that typical? The one that's in the UK breaks up. <laughs> but anyway, um, we have a recording now. Um, of uh, John Newton Webb, who's working in Japan. He used to work with the Association of Evangelists. The reason we recorded, recorded him is I think it's about two, three in the morning over there. So we, we were merciful to him. So we're going to play the recording and then I'll come back to Penny after that. So over to that recording. It's really good to have you with us all the way from Japan. And, um, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, John, your family and what you're doing, how long you've been in Japan. Thank you. Uh, let me say first, it's great to be with you here. We're practicing extreme social distancing by being a few thousand miles away. Um, so um, I'm John. Uh, my, I have my wife, Sharm. We have two children, Seth and Joy. Um, we are working with OMF in Japan. And we've been in Japan since 2010 uh, the particular work we're doing at the moment is that we're leading a church plant in an area of 30,000 people, um, which has never had a church before this church was planted uh, 10 years ago. Amazing. Um, we always think of Japan as a, a place with a really difficult language. Is that true? Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> it's a fascinating language. It's wonderful, but it's, it's tricky. And how many alphabets do you have? Only three. <laughs> And how many letters in each alphabet? Um, the one of them, which is made up of uh, characters borrowed from Chinese, has about seven thousand. Um, the other two only have fifty-three or so each. <laughs> and I think they can add letters to the alphabet as well, can't they? Now, certainly, you can. A bit like German, you can stick things together as, together as much as you like and make new words very easily. Now, John, we know that Japan is, uh, is a country really bereft of evangelical witness over many, many centuries. What are the challenges you find in evangelism today? Thank you. I, I think a big one is just how few Christian believers there are here. Um, the, the best estimate is 0.4% of the population are Christians and only 0.2% of the population are at a Protestant church on any given Sunday. Um, so numbers is one. Another is uh, the sense of foreignness about Christianity that people have. People actually have quite a lot, of, a lot of respect for the Christian faith, as long as it stays where it belongs, i.e. not in Japan, um, and as long as we're not proactive about it. Um, uh, relating to the small church, we also are lacking pastors, many, many pastorless churches, and the pastors that there are are ageing. Um, more than 50% are over 50, um, even more than that, no, sorry, 90% are over 50, 50% are over 65. Um, so there are those sort of issues. Then a, a big thing that we grapple with day by day is that Bible truths, who God is, what sin is, what faith is, um, what happens after we die? All of these concepts are thought about so differently in Japan from how the Bible talks about them, that whatever you're talking about, whichever aspect of the gospel, you're having to cross over a huge gulf in terms of explanation. You can't assume anything. I need to define and teach very, very carefully. Uh, another thing would be that proactive religion is seen as suspicious and potentially dangerous. Um, and we obviously are proactive. We want to reach people with the gospel. We're out and about trying to do that. And um, some people therefore want to stand back from us and say, well, there must be something odd about you or you must be after something to be so keen uh, on your religion. 
It's also difficult to meet people, especially working men. Japan's working hours are legendary. Um, six days a week from uh, 6am till midnight is not unusual. And so trying to meet and reach working men are uh, extremely difficult. And just one more to mention is that there is a culture here of not talking deeply about things. And particularly religion and politics are taboo. So trying to break open those subjects with people and really talk about them takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of prayer to do. So the issue really is, um, you know, how do you overcome this? What, do you, what are you doing? How are you seeking to reach people with the gospel? Thank you. Um, well, we, we're doing uh, as many different things as we can do. Uh, I guess the first thing that uh, comes to mind is what is the Lord doing? Because he is at work here. Uh, of course he is. And we actually have been very blessed uh, as a church at the moment. We're, we're still small. We have 11 members, um, but we are baptizing, Lord willing, five people this month um, who've come to the faith, um, all of them adults over the last months uh, and we have a, a fringe of interested non-christians who come along to all sorts of things so praise the lord that the lord is doing things and um, what are we doing firstly we are focusing on the essentials the same things that i trust we're all doing we are praying we are preaching the gospel um, we are trying to disciple the believers that we have and particularly to train them in personal evangelism and things like that we're also trying to create a church atmosphere, a church fellowship where people um, can talk about spiritual things, where they can open up, so they're getting that experience. Um, and then, of course, we're proactively engaged in evangelism, as I indicated uh, earlier. So we have a wide ranging program of events from uh, mums and tots to craft clubs for kids, uh, up to historical lectures about the history of Christianity in Japan, uh, straightforward evangelistic services and, and meetings, uh, and all sorts of things uh, like this. And in the context of those, I guess we are trying to practice what John Stott called that double listening, listening first of all to the scriptures, and then listening to the world around us. So in terms of communicating clearly who is God, who is Jesus, why did he come, what is man, um, what does it mean to believe in Jesus, what happens after we die, all of these things, we need to be paying attention to how the Japanese talk about these concepts and what bridges need to be overcome and what needs to be re-explained. I also try um, then to quote a lot of Japanese people in my sermons, um, both from secular sources, just to comment on that, and also Japanese pastors, just so I, it's not just being presented as a Western thing, because they see a Western face, but they're hearing this from Japanese mouths uh, as well. And then the last thing to mention, which I think is important here, and I, I guess will be becoming increasingly important there as well, is building trust relationships. So as we get known in the community, people realise we are not a dangerous religious group. And I had this recently with, um, I, I volunteer in the local primary school library. And um, one of my fellow volunteers said to me, um, uh, this was last year, she said, a friend of mine asked me if I've heard of your church because she had a flyer through the door. And then she asked, are they safe? Is it okay to go there? And my friend, the volunteer, was able to say to her friend, yes, I know John, I know the pastor, and I've been there myself. They're safe, they're trustworthy, you can go along. So building those sort of relationships in the community, I think, is also very key for us. John, very, very grateful. There's lots more we'd like to ask. But um, uh, if anybody's interested now in receiving um, prayer information, which you send out every month, um, uh, we're going to put up something uh, for people to see. But, John, thank you very much. The Lord bless you. Thank you. And thanks for sharing with us. Thank you very much. There we are. Now, let's see if we can get back to Penny and see if we can get a better connection to Lester. Penny, hi. Um, hi. Just tell me, how how do you make contact with international students? Do you just go up to them or how do you how do you get to know them? 
Well, normally we would just go to campus. Um, so normally during Freshers Week, we will be invited and we will have a table there and we will advertise our activities. Through that, we get the first contact and then um, students, if they like our activities, they will tell their friends. So through that, um, that's how we get uh, students. And you say activities, what sort of activities do you have? Uh, so we mainly uh, do uh, hospitality um, activities uh, or, or friendship building activities. So we have something called a Globe Cafe, which is an international student cafe. It's a weekly activity. Uh, students can come and we have uh, local volunteers who are Christians. So uh, we will have uh, weekly activities and then we have conversation time and, and we, we try to share um, our faith uh, during the conversation with them. And you say we, Penny, how many of you are there? Um, so, so we have, um, so in terms of the number of volunteers at Globe Cafe, we have uh, probably about 15 volunteers. Um, but um, obviously, Globe Cafe is not the only thing we run. We also do Bible studies um, and we take students uh, to local churches as well. So a lot of people are actually involved uh, in the international student ministry here. That's great. And Friends International work like this right across the, the UK, don't they? Yes. Um, now, I don't know what's happening this year, but normally uh, there is a scheme whereby if you want to um, want to have an international student stay with you over Christmas, you can. It can be a wonderful opportunity to get to know them and, of course, share the faith as well. Yeah. Uh, Penny, thank you very much. Hang on, because there may be some questions for you, but we got a better connection eventually. Bless you. Thank you. Now, we're going to go over to... Um, a West African country. It, we're going to keep this, um, if you don't mind, we, we won't name the country for various reasons, but I'm going to talk to, well, he's calling himself Stuart, but actually it's a Dutch name that I can't pronounce. So we'll stick to Stuart and, um, and Rachel. So uh, welcome. Tell us, um, tell us a, little about, a little bit about yourselves, how, how long you've been where you are and what sort of things you're trying to do. Um, yeah, we are for about um, 15 years. Uh, in West Africa, um, so we're there for quite a while, and we are working there with the, the Fulani people. Um, yeah, so we started out with uh, learning the language and getting to know the Fulani. Um, so yeah, we're there now for in total for 15 years. Yeah. All right, and and. Um is it a tough country to be in? The very fact that we're not naming it, you know, implies that you, you live under a certain threat? Yeah, well, first of all, there is an increase of um, terrorist activity in the region. Um, so, yeah, it's, it is quite a, a game changer in that region. So we are not as free anymore to travel to visit our Falani friends. Um, it's just too dangerous at the moment. Um, so, yeah, in, in certain countries, we've seen missionaries just leaving uh, the region because um, even Fulani Christians, they've asked the missionaries to leave because it was, well, they were just, yeah, it, they were too scared to be um, connected with Westerners and that, that will be a threat for them. Yeah. Do you live in fear, Rachel? Um, not really. We live in the capital city, um, so we feel quite safe there. And yeah, we follow the safety regulations that we get, that we're not allowed to go out and travel. So um, yeah, I mean, there are times we've lived through a coup, we've, um, we've had people nearby kidnapped, um, colleagues kidnapped. Um, the burning so, of the churches. Yeah, and, yeah, that was the scariest time. When they yeah, in 2015, the, they burned the churches in the country, yeah. so that was quite scary, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Now, what sort of work are you doing? Because it's quite fascinating, really. But tell us what you're doing. Um, well, we well we work among the the Fulani, and many Fulani are um, well semi nomadic, so they are scattered all across the region of of West Africa, from Senegal to to Cameroon, and. Well, the Lord kind of led us through the years in, in using um, media and especially radio work to, um, yeah, to broadcast over the radio uh, the gospel to the Fulani. So we've been involved in these years in um, developing um, 
yeah, Bible teaching, radio programs, evangelism. Um, yeah. yeah, we had we have a different storytelling. We used the book of Proverbs as well because the Falani they love Proverbs. Um, we had some dramas as well that they really enjoy. So yeah, with some health programs as well. So we yeah, so different the different range of um, programs that are being broadcasted on about eight nine radio stations at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, and then more recently we've we've tapped into the mobile phone um, industry because everyone seems to have a mobile phone. They might not have electricity and running water, but they'll have a mobile phone. <laughs> and SD cards have become um, just an amazing tool for evangelism that we're able to load up these tiny chips with hours of evangelistic messages, gospel messages, films, videos, teaching. And then we can distribute those through the local believers and people get them in their phones and then they can listen secretly um, because for them, fear is a huge thing. Um, so they can have, we say they can have a whole Bible school on their mobile phone and then just listen in secretly to, to the programs. And so that's been yeah. a real help to us. And to the get New Testament is on it as well. Yeah. The New yeah. Testament is amazing. And, and, um, would it be very costly for somebody if they were to become a Christian there? Yeah, well, especially in the beginning, uh, this, yeah, persecution, um, they lose their inheritance. Um, so the, the family ties are very strong among the Fulani people. Um, so yes, there is the kind of rejection, um, and yeah, just being kicked out of the family. Um, yeah, and that's the hard thing as well because the Christian community, the Christian church is hardly existing yet among the Falani, among the dialects where we work. Um, in all the areas, it, there is a stronger Christian witness, but where we work is still very small. So it's not that they, yeah, they leave one community and there's a big other Christian community. So there is real, a real, um, yeah, isolation for, um, for new believers yeah this is really hard mm, amazing well thank you very much now look there may be questions and again if you want prayer information they're very good at sending it and uh, it's a remarkable work you're doing have you any um, indication as to how many people are listening to the radio programs no that is no that's really hard to say mm. um often Falani friends are saying well many people are tuning in in this reason to the programs um, yeah. well, one of the good things, well, is it a good thing, but there aren't many other programs in their language on the radio. So uh -huh. this is one of the very few things, and they love to listen to their language. So mm. um, they will listen just because they understand it. Yeah. They love the radio. So mm. I think there are a lot of people listening. Um, yeah, and we just pray that over time the gospel going in every Amen. night into their homes will have an impact yeah. very exciting thank you uh, we'll stay around we're going to go over now to Armenia um, the first nation to accept Christianity as its national religion uh, but of course it was taken over by the USSR but it's great to have Michael and Peruz um, Harrison um, tell us about Armenia whereabouts is it first of all well, Armenia, uh, I suppose, is not known by a lot of people in this in this part of the world. It's on the east side of Turkey, nestled between Turkey, Azerbaijan, and to the south, we border with Iran, and then we've got Georgia to the north, and then Russia. Uh, it's a country, relatively small population of three million, largely made up of, of Armenians. In fact, I think I'm probably the only Yorkshireman there. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it has its own its own language, its own alphabet, and as you said, Roger, it claims to be the first country to make Christianity its state religion. Um, but it's desperately poor, isn't it? Yeah, well, there's a, there's a, a tremendous amount of poverty uh, in in the country uh, throughout the country, actually. Uh, so there, it's like I suppose many of the ex-Soviet countries where you've got those that are wealthy. Uh, and uh, there is affluence, but there's a huge amount of the population which are really, really poor. Mm -hmm. Now, Peruz, your father founded Armenian Ministries. What, what does Armenian Ministries do? 
Um, our mini ministries basically um, uses uh, the door of opportunity given to us, helping the poor. Uh, to make significant relationships with people and then use that to evangelise. Um, we can't do um, open-air evangelism in Armenia. Um, it's very difficult to do door-to-door -door work because of the culture. Um, the open-air evangelism is very difficult to do because of the state church. Um, so missions go forward in Armenia with relationships more, and it takes time to build relationships and build trust. Um, they 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 um, rely very much on word of mouth. So um, somebody before us said that uh, they ask, is this person safe? That's very much true in Armenia as well. If one relative accepts um, the Lord and starts coming to your church, all the relatives uh, will start coming to the church and trust you. Um, so we do children's work as well. We have a church. We have, we have children's work. Um, we produce literature. Um, and, and all of that is handed out along with food parcels and uh, clothes, um, help with uh, electricity, uh, water, emergency medical needs. There's a lot of dire poverty, um, almost like slums in some areas. And that allows you to go in and, and help and at the same time speak to them and build a relationship. Yeah, well, I read your newsletter and I must say every time I, I, I find myself wanting to weep at some of the stories of the people you get involved in. Um, Michael, um, with regard to Armenia, is there an openness to the gospel? Because it's, it's Armenian Orthodox, isn't it? Um, are, they, are they open to the gospel or are they suspicious of you? As, do they regard you as a cult? Yeah, it's a, it's a, a paradoxical situation in a sense, because... Certainly, people are open to talk about things of God. Uh, it's very easy to strike up a conversation with somebody and, uh, uh, and, and talk about things relating to, uh, to God, to uh, even to the Bible. Uh, and and, and you, you don't get, uh, generally, you don't get somebody saying, oh, no, I don't want to talk about that. And in fact, actually, what you get a lot of the time is, is people will use the lingo and they will, uh, you know, you ask them how they are. Oh, yeah, praise God, I'm well. And, uh, you know, when you start to talk about the gospel and the need for the Lord Jesus, you'll get this. Yeah, 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 we, we, we do. You know, we trust in God. And so there's that religious side to it. But then on the other side, there is this there is this wariness uh, about anybody who doesn't conform to what the state church would would teach and, and believe. Um, and so what you've got is a situation where actually a lot of people are not they don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. They don't know him as their savior. They have this, if you like, uh, very religious outlook. And uh, of course, it forms a lot of their traditions, their national identity is very tied into the, the church and their history. But spiritually speaking, it's dead and there's no life in it. And it doesn't give them hope. And there is no there's no salvation by grace. Uh, and and so, as someone said recently in one of these meetings, the, often what you've got to do is you've got to get the person lost first and get them to realize that actually all that tradition, all that religion and even actually what you believe about God, that all needs to be put to one side. And you need to see what God is really saying about you and your situation before him. And that's actually very challenging and uh, and and even though we can have lots of conversations probably many more conversations than people working in this country in evangelism would get i think the the reality is that there's actually not that many people who actually get to that point where they say yeah i realize my need of the savior i realize that you know just because i'm armenian that's not going to that's not going to save me there's not that many people get to that point and um, if if they do are there some good churches round about that they can go to? Yeah, there are. I mean, in Yerevan, there are some there are some good churches. Once you get outside of the capital, outside of Yerevan, very few and far between. I mean, most of the most of the villages that we have contact with have no Christian witness whatsoever. And I mean, we work in five or six villages among the children and it breaks our heart because you know, we, we get these children coming to camp, they come to Bible clubs, they hear the gospel, some of them get converted. And then as they get older and they grow up, there's just nowhere for them. And 
it's a massive, massive mission field. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's the, the sad thing is that there's, you know, there's no, there's no follow-up, and obviously we're limited uh, to what we can do. Um, Peruz, your mother translated the Bible into modern-day Armenian, didn't she? The whole Bible, yes. amazing. She's yes. sort of John Wycliffe of of Armenia. <laughs> so now we we've got to finish, but um, uh, I think a number of people watching now will be aware that we can provide some assistance for Armenia. Now there are probably coronavirus lockdowns at the moment. We one of you just very quickly tell us what we can do to get provisions over to Armenia. Okay, so as part of what we do, we send uh, aid across in containers and uh, they're, they're loaded up from our warehouse in Lincolnshire. Now at the moment, because of coronavirus, we've had to put everything on hold. So we're not, we're not taking any donations of clothes and shoes and bedding at the moment. Uh, but we are asking that if people have such items, that they would hold on to them until we can resume our activities because we are sure that the country is going to need it. And especially once summer passes with the onset of winter, Armenia suffers very, very cold winters. There's going to be a desperate need for clothes, for warm bedding, things like that. So if you've got that, if you've got anything like that, um, you know, get in touch with us and we can provide you details of what we can and can't take and what we need. And it will be more than more than welcome. Those of you who've met me in churches this year know that most Sundays I now say, if you've got any clothes, bring them to me and I'll get them to Armenia. And it's amazing what good quality stuff comes. So there we are. It's a way in which we can all help. Thank you very much. There may well Thank be questions. You. Just while you're the last chance to ask questions, but I want to go back to Penny and I'm going to ask her just one question. I wonder if you could tell us one story, one encouraging story of an international <laughs> student that uh, you, you have had had dealings with maybe and uh, etc. Tell us a story. Yeah, recently um, there's a Chinese girl here. She has been uh, coming to uh, our Bible studies and um, and in March, just before lockdown, um, she decided to go back home, go back to China. And um, the the night before she went back home, she was at my place and we just chatted and chatted. And then she made the decision to follow Jesus here before she went back home. And um, what? Well, when when she went back home, there were lo loads of travels, and you will think, well, gosh, I don't know why God allowed her to experience all those things. So first, um, she was on the plane, and then. Uh, because now if you uh, go back to China, you have to be uh, quarantined for two weeks. While she was in quarantine, feeling lonely, and then she was told um, that on the plane, there was a confirmed case, and she was very close to that person. As a result, she was transferred to another special hospital, and she was like scared. And then it was then that she really prayed and uh, really started uh, reading God's word and got comfort uh, from uh, through prayer and God's word. Um, and I, I think the whole experience actually made her grow and get rooted in her faith. And I think um, it's, it's especially encouraging for me because during this time, you just feel, how can we reach people? We can't see people face to face, but actually God is working through those kind of situations. Amen. That's great. And will you be able to link her up to a church in in mainland China? Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so uh, we do have uh, partnerships with people working in China. So I'm hoping that um, someone will work together with her. That's wonderful. Thank you all very, very much. What a fascinating evening. I wish we could have had longer with everybody. Now, if you'd like to ask questions, perhaps we can put it on the screen again, please. The text number you can um, either text to or the Slido address with the code. So 07946 852071 or you can go by Slido and the code is 43084. So um, please ask any questions. Now we've I've run on a few minutes. We might just go over a little bit, um, but I won't uh, abuse um, the timings that we've said because I'll, I'll have my wrist slapped, I'm sure, if I do. So um, uh, I think it's Phyllis who's going to chair the questions and, and pose them. Thank you, Phyllis. And maybe I'll ask this question to Barry and Laura, because both of you mentioned about feeling a call. The question is, I love evangelism and have a special interest in the gospel in a specific country overseas. How can I recognise 
if I have a call to be a missionary there. So maybe Laura and then Barry, if you could address that question. Hi, okay. Yeah, just, um, I, I think a call is really important, especially, you know, just the call overseas to leave home and to go to another country. And for me, there's a couple of things that are really um, key. And the first one would be just to have that sense of God speaking to you and putting a burden of a place or a country or a people on your heart and begin to recognize that. Um, listen to God in your daily readings. Take note, you know, just journaling. What What is God saying to me? Um, get advice from other people, maybe other mature believers that might be able to recognize that God is calling you. Um, and just see over time how, how that works. So it's almost like you can say that things um, are aligned and they come together. And um, I remember one pastor said to me, Laura, don't, um, God doesn't get tired of you asking just for confirmation. And so, you know, keep doing that. But we'll, there will come a point when you need to act and then move on that and apply or whatever. But, um, yeah, gathering information. For me, it was like Spain. So I gathered information on mission organizations, made contact um, and find out who was working, what was happening and just let the information grow to suit the burden. So those are a few factors. Maybe Barry can add to that or. If Barry, can you add anything to that? Yeah, I think um, the word that Laura used, the burden. Um, it, it's really important that the burden's there all the time. But one of the privileges that I had was um, people encouraged me and um, got me involved in mission. And that really helped me. Thank you. Um, is Ben still with us? I have a question to Ben. As students seem apathetic, does this mean that churches don't promote evangelism either? And is that part of the problem? Yeah, uh, the simple answer to that question is, uh, generally speaking, many of the churches in New Zealand have lost a confidence in uh, the authority of Scripture and the power of Scripture. And as a result of that, then have lost a confidence in the gospel. So if you don't have a confidence in the gospel, it then plays out in uh, whether you have a desire to share it or not. Uh, so it, it's hard, as with most of these countries, speaking generally, and there are always super exceptions to that. Um, but uh, generally speaking, yeah, there, there has been a lack of um, actual biblical Christ-centered evangelism. Uh, across much of the New Zealand church. That's not to say people don't want to see their friends uh, coming to Christ, but I think it's similar to Japan. Um, by and large, many churches here have just not seen people uh, come to faith in Christ in recent memory. Thank you. Um, another one to Barry here. Sorry, it's just gone off my screen. Um, Barry, are you able to follow up with students when they go to university? and Do they lose their zeal once they lose your, leave your schools? Well, um, last November was our first graduation um, for the secondary school, so um, we haven't started following up uh, our students yet, but um, we've got one guy that has got into universities from a very poor family, and um, he comes back to the school very regular to keep in touch with us, and we're following him. So okay. it's a new thing really for us at the moment. Um, Phyllis, can I just come in here? Yes. Uh, please, please, whoever you are, don't send questions to me. Please send them to the, the text and the Slido that I gave. I can't ask them without interrupting poor old Phyllis. And <laughs> um, it's a question to Penny and maybe also to um, uh, uh, Stuart. Um, how are you coping with COVID? Obviously, most of your activities must have stopped now. Um, and Stuart, and maybe even Peruse, um, just tell us what's going on in Armenia with regard to COVID. Um, so we uh, have moved all our activities online. So in the past, we would do face-to-face um, -face, um, activities, but now we do all our social activities using Zoom and Bible studies uh, using Zoom as well. Okay. Um, Stuart? And Michael, Stuart? Stuart still there? Maybe Michael and Peruse, what's happening regarding COVID yeah. over in Armenia? Um, so um, our children's work has had to stop. 
um, we're hoping to um, start some online children's camps. We normally have children's camps right through the summer. Um, we are still distributing food in COVID safe uh, ways. Um, medical help, um, all the help is still being given. Um, instead of visiting people, um, as I said, we build relationship normally, we're giving all those people leaflets and we're trying to produce um, uh, evangelic, evangelistic leaflets. The first of which um, contained Roger Carswell's um, Hope Beyond Coronavirus. So uh, that was nice, that was translated into Armenian. Um, yeah, so Yes. Great, great. Um, another question to, oh, Stuart, you come here. Oh. Uh, what's happening regarding COVID, where you are? Yeah, well, well, for us, we personally, we left the country. Um, um, but regarding to the work, um, the radio broadcastings are still um, going on. Uh, so that's good. And also the SD cards that the local evangelists are uh, distributing that, you know, people continue to listen to the word of God in that way. Um, the only thing is probably that, um, that we have been a little bit involved that people get training, uh, that Fulani uh, Christians get more training so that the Bible schools stopped as well. Uh, mm. So that's a pity. But um, that is, yeah, they're, they're picking up as well with their studies. So that is good. Yeah. Another question for Laura here. You mentioned that Spain is becoming more secular. It would appear that Ireland is exactly the same. And um, do you feel that's the case? And are missionaries needed there as well? Okay. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I've actually I've, I've been out of Ireland about thirty years. You know, so my it's not um, the you know day to day contact with it, just with my home church and things like that. Um, so, yes, it, it does need missionaries, and I'm thinking of the south of Ireland. Um, the mission organization I'm with, we have church planters in the south of Ireland as well, in County Mayo and down the south, on the south coast. Um, so, yes, and I think what they're finding as well is the same as what was Spain, you know, that moving away from the Catholic Church, but a lot of openness as well. People are coming to the Lord in the south of Ireland. Um, Northern Ireland has traditionally been um, really strong evangelical base with many, many churches um, in Belfast. Um, but there's still a need for the gospel to get out as well. You know, there's a growing population. Um, and yeah, desperation. There's a lot of young men committing suicide and things in the north. It's got a really high percentage. So there's a lot of people that, that are lost and, and need the gospel as well. So, yeah, if anybody's feeling cold, yeah, come. <laughs> And um, question here, it's a general one, but maybe I'll direct it to Barry. Some countries have many professing faith, but under a false gospel works or prosperity. How do you evangelize those who think they are saved, but are not? Um, in Nicaragua, syncretism is, is very strong. Um, one of the positive things is that um, people are very open. And um, yeah, I think... <laughs> I don't really, I just, I just uh, share the gospel with people on a one-to-one. -one. Um, I, I don't really, I think it's a positive thing that they, they believe in God. Yeah, yeah. Do we, can we finish there or can we carry on? One more question. Those that, that are organising the time. Let's, okay. let's run on a two or three more minutes okay. because I, did, I oh. ran over a bit. So. I've got a question here for Stuart. Who is pastoring you and Rachel? Are you involved in team ministry? Could you then you go yeah. for it? Okay. Um, yeah, well, we have, we're pretty much on our own in terms of with our organisation. We had one new family join us this year. Um, we are in a big mission, so we have support from our missionary colleagues. Um, and we do belong to a local church from another people group, from the Hausa. Um, so we are in a church, um, but not a Fulani church, because there isn't one yet. Um, and we get great pastoral support from our church in the UK, which is really good. But we do have, like, we are different mission organisations that work with the Fulani as well. And we had, um, yeah, several times we, we meet together with other missionaries who work among the Fulani in our country. 
So that's really good and positive. Yeah. yeah. Okay, one final question to Penny. Penny, do students enjoy going to English local churches? What are their comments? <laughs> um, yeah, I think they do uh, enjoy going there if uh, people would talk to them. Because um, sometimes you do get comments that uh, students going to a British church, but British people maybe are too shy to talk to them, and they are just left alone there without... Um, yeah, anyone talking to them, anyone introducing anything or checking whether they understand um, the sermon or not. Um, but normally, um, students really enjoy music at church and they, they are actually surprised um, the music at church is not something uh, they thought it would be. They probably thought it would be serious, uh, very religious like music. But um, yeah, the, the hymns, um, they sometimes will ask for the names of the hymns and they will listen to uh, to them uh, after church. Hmm. Right. Okay, thanks. Back Thank to you all uh, very much. Thanks to Jonathan and Ben and Laura and Barry and Penny and John Newton Webb and Rachel and Stuart and Michael and Peruse. And thank you, everybody, for, for joining in. We're going to go into small breakout groups now to pray. Um, that's just for about eight, nine minutes. And then if you want to come back and just chat along and uh, talk to any of the missionaries, etc., have fellowship between ourselves over Zoom, you'd be very welcome. Don't forget, on Saturday, we're going to be interviewing Jeremy Marshall and um, the chairman of Hawes Bank, uh, who has cancer. And uh, um, uh, Joe will be giving the gospel message. And next Tuesday, uh, Paul Hinton will be speaking about... Um, how to make a church an evangelistic uh, church. But thank you all very, very much. But we're going, if you stay on now, if you leave, fine. It's great to have had you. But if you stay on now, you'll go into a breakout group for prayer. <laughs>